only human, and we inevitably fail one another from time to time. It happened to the Apostle Paul, and it's probably happened to you as well. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah examines how Paul was able to turn his disappointment into encouragement and shares tools to help you do the same. Listen as David introduces the conclusion of Courage When Friends Disappoint You. Well, you cannot live life from the cradle to the grave without having the experience we're talking about right now. Somebody you thought was there for you, you found out wasn't. In fact, it might even have been worse than that. They're not only not for you, they're against you. Uh, I've talked to pastors through my whole life of teaching and preaching, and inevitably sometime if you stay in the ministry long enough, somebody's going to try to do something to hurt you, somebody you thought was your friend. What do you do? Well, some people just get blown away by that, and they quit. They just say, that's it, and, and I'm going to go do something else, or I'm going to crawl into, into a hole and never come out again. But the Bible tells us that's not something you should do. You should stand with courage when that happens. Listen to me. This happened to Paul while he was in prison. And if you read the book of Philippians, uh, in the early verses of that book, you'll, you'll discover that Paul said, you know, some people preach the gospel out of jealousy and anxiety, trying to build up their own reputations and hurt me while I'm in prison. Yeah, he didn't quit. No, no, he stood strong, and he gives us some really valuable truth to help us deal with disappointment when friends discourage us and when they disappoint us. So here's part two of Second uh, Timothy 4, 9 through 18. I want to jump right into the message, and I'll have some things to say about it at the end. Let's begin. Paul's greatest pain was not the deprivation of his Roman cell. His greatest pain was the separation of his caring friends. His anguish is clear when he speaks to Timothy about rejection and he reveals that all who were in Asia had turned against him. Actually, two of Paul's Asian friends had defected earlier. 2 Timothy 1.15 says this, This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. In other words, all of the friends that he had from the Asian church had decided they didn't want to be Paul's friend anymore. Reading through the last verses of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy is like reading a litany of defection and desertion. Notice, Demas had forsaken Paul, Crescens had gone to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia. 2 Timothy 4.10 says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Now what happens here is Paul's writing this from his prison cell, and he's thinking through all the people that are his friends. In verse 12 he says, Antichicus, I sent him to Ephesus. And in verse 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. In verse 20, Erastus stayed in Corinth, and Trophimus I left in Miletus. He was sick. In summary, almost all of Paul's friends had disappeared at the time of his preliminary hearing before Caesar. And in 2 Timothy 4.16 we read, At my first defense, watch this, no one stood with me. All forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Can you feel the pain of loneliness in those words from Paul? Wow. In fact, 
If you want to know what a true committed friend is, look down at verse 11 in 2 Timothy 4. Only Luke is with me. Go down through that list of the kinds of friends we have, you know, the casual, the contact, the close, and the committed. You've already lost them all by verse 11. The only one left is Luke. And Luke happens to be Paul's doctor, his physician. What was going on in Paul's heart when he wrote these words? One of the writers of commentaries on the Old and New Testament is a man by the name of Bishop Hanley Moole. He said about this passage, I have often found it difficult to deliberately read these short words without finding something like a mist gathering in my eyes. The writer's heart beats in the writing. You can see his tears fall all over the past and the harrowing present. Here is a man on his way to death. One moment he is strong with courage, and the next he is as tender as a child when he begs his friend Timothy to come to him before winter because he is so lonely. For you see, said Moole, the great apostle Paul was also a creature of flesh and blood, a man of like nature as you and me. Although he has finished his course and he's awaiting his crown, he is still a frail human being with ordinary human needs. That's what I love about this book. It is filled with the stories of flesh and blood people like you and me who face all the same kind of challenges we face. Now, before we go on, let me tell you that there are two names in particular that jump out of this list of 17 names in the fourth chapter. The first is a guy by the name of Demas. Have you ever heard of him before? Demas is mentioned three times in the Bible. The first time he's mentioned, he's referred to as one of Paul's fellow workers. The second time he's mentioned, he's just sort of mentioned with Paul. That's it. And the third time he's mentioned here in 2 Timothy, we are told that he left Paul. He defected because he loved this present world more than he loved the cause of Christ. He loved comfort more than Christ. I cannot imagine what this must have done to Paul, who had discipled him, who had mentored him, who had poured his life into him who had believed in him, who had worked alongside of him. And now in this time of stress, and some people believe that Demas just saw that the cost was too high. He just saw that it was an awful hard thing to be a Christian and that to pay the price to serve the Lord was a higher price than he was willing to pay. And so he just went home because he loved the comforts of the world more than the benefits of being a Christian. And Paul said he defected, he turned away. Paul gave extra words to describe the fierce opposition of another man on this list, a man by the name of Alexander. He's called Alexander the coppersmith. Now, there's a number of Alexanders in the Bible, but he stands all by himself as far as I can determine. He's only here in this passage. And you know what the Bible says about him? Literally, it should be translated. He informed many evil things against me. Most scholars believe that the reason Paul is in prison is because Alexander, quote, his friend, ratted on him and informed against him to the people who ultimately jailed him. Now, think about that. Here's a guy he mentored who's gone back because he can't take the heat. Here's a guy he thought was a friend who turned him in. And Paul was so concerned about that, he warned Timothy. He says, man, stay away from that guy. Whatever you do, he's trouble. I need to say to you that no leader, no matter who he might be, who determines to walk the high road with his God will be able always to experience freedom from the kinds of things Paul felt. There are always going to be times when things happen that discourage you, that disappoint you. 
people that you've led to Christ who you think are on the road to really serve God. And then one day you look up and they're not around and you say, what happened to so-and-so? And someone says, well, he's gone off. He's left his family. He's left his wife. He's left his church. And he's gone off to do his own thing. And your heart breaks because you thought they were on the right track. They were going in the right way. And you poured your life into them. And you poured the life of people you know into them. It's hard. Let me encourage you. It's part of the game. It's part of the package. When you serve the Lord, you get what the Lord got. And you remember what the Lord got? John 1, 10, and 11. He came into the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. So if you're a leader, and all of a sudden you look up, and you don't have quite the cadre of friends that you had before because you've gone to a new level with the Lord, don't take it with pride. Take it with joy that you're in the fellowship of the kingdom, and you're walking with the Lord. I need to get off of all of this because it's kind of discouraging and depressing to see this guy in prison dealing with all these things that are going on with the people he knew. You talk about a man who's friendless except for his doctor. It's Paul. Now, interestingly enough, when we face the challenges of disappointment and we look at the same passage of scripture, we can find the courage for disappointment. And the courage for disappointment comes as we look at this story We learn a great deal about friendship if we will just listen carefully to the things Paul requests of Timothy. These things represent his needs at this time. And if we examine our own situation, they represent our needs as well. Let's just go through these things and kind of write them down in our mental minds here so that when we see people who are hurting, we realize what they need. When we see people who look isolated, we know how to minister to them. First of all, Paul needed some physical encouragement. Notice verses 13 and 21. In verse 13, he says, Timothy, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come. And then down in verse 21, you discover why. Do your best to get here before winter. I need my coat, and I need it before winter. Amen? Amen. (laughs) This part of Paul's experience that related to his body cannot be disregarded. His cloak that he had left on his journey was an outer garment that corresponds to our overcoat. It was a rugged, rudimentary kind of thing. It looked like a big horse blanket with a hole cut in the top. And he just put it over your head and it came down on both sides. And especially in the cold winters where Paul was, it would have provided some relief. And especially in the cold, damp, Mamertine prison, he needed his coat. Now why is that in the Bible? What do we care It's in the Bible because Almighty God wants us to know that there are certain things physical that we need to be aware of. When we see somebody who is alone and hurting, we need to give them more than a prayer. It's interesting that 15 centuries after this, after Paul's experience in Rome, William Tyndale, one of the early translators of the Bible, had a similar experience when he was imprisoned in Belgium. And I wrote this down. It happened in 1535. Tyndall wrote a letter to the governor of the castle where he was imprisoned. And this is what he said. He said, I entreat your lordship that if I must remain here for the winter, you would beg the commissary to be so kind as to send me from the things of mine, which he has, a warmer cap. I feel the cold painfully in my head. Also a warmer coat, for the coat I have is very thin, but most of all, my Hebrew Bible, my grammar, and my vocabulary that I might spend my time in that pursuit. When you see somebody is hurting, when they're isolated, when it seems like everyone has turned away, you turn back, but you come to them with something in your hands. 
you bring them something to say to them, I love you, that's going to be in their hands when you walk away so they won't forget your message. Amen? Physical encouragement. Now notice, secondly, is personal encouragement. Verses 9, 11, and 21. Here, watch this. Be diligent to come to me quickly. Verse 9. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's useful to me in the ministry. Let me just pause for a moment. Mark was another guy who defected, and everybody thought Mark was a lost cause, but now he's been restored, and he's back in the ministry. And Paul says, I want you to get Mark and bring him. Timothy, I want Mark to come with you, because he's not just my friend. He's useful to me. You bring him. And then in verse 21, do your utmost to come before winter. Now, just put all those together and note that in our most obvious times of disappointment and need, we need companions. We need people. The Lord is always with us as we're going to discover, but most of us are like the little boy who was told that he shouldn't be afraid of the dark because the Lord was with him. And the little boy said, I know that, but I want somebody with skin on. And I understand that. (laughs) Paul was not different than us. He wanted somebody with skin on. He wanted somebody to come and be his companion. He encouraged Timothy to bring Mark, the same Mark who had once deserted Paul but had now been restored. Paul missed him and wanted to see him once more. Most of all, Paul wanted to be with Timothy again because Paul had mentored Timothy. Timothy, he called Timothy his son. He was his son in the faith. And he said, Timothy, I want you to come quickly and make sure you arrive before the winter because Paul knew that he would not survive the winter and that once the winter came, Timothy would not be able to get through to Rome. So he asks for personal companionship. You know, when somebody is going through a tough time and it looks like all their friends have left, you don't even have to say anything. You just have to be there. You just have to go and sit with them and listen to them. And when the Lord gives you something to say, you say it. But they don't need a lot of our advice and a lot of our special little pariah things that we point out. They just need us to be there for them. The companionship the personal encouragement. And then there was some mental encouragement that he asked for. Verse 13, he says, when you come, I want you to bring my books and my parchments. (laughs) Paul mentioned to Timothy his desire for the books, and the difference between the two was probably that the books were made out of papyrus, and those papyrus rolls could have included any number of things like Paul's Roman citizenship papers might have been there, his correspondence, his extra writing materials. The parchments may have been Paul's copies of the Old Testament scriptures in Greek or the collected words of Jesus Christ. Paul wanted to use, now watch this, his isolated hours redemptively. Studying what he accomplished during his life and all the things we know for sure that he did while he was in prison makes me want to evaluate my activity pack calendar and wonder if I'm missing something here. Not that I'm volunteering for prison, by the way. But just the fact that when we are isolated without the interruption of people, there's so much that God can do in our hearts that he cannot do while we're on the tram that most of us live on in this day. Sometimes when we are isolated from other people, God used the experiences to drive us into protracted times of study and meditation. I have found on occasion that study and work are a great relief. That might sound strange to some of you. Maybe you say, well, yeah, Pastor, you're a workaholic, so we understand that. But the greatest challenge is when you're discouraged or when you feel left by people who you thought were with you in a mission, and you're alone now. You can sit alone, and what happens if you do that? You get into yourself, and you get into a little pity party for yourself. 
Well, what you need to do is get into the Word. You say, well, what if I don't feel like it? So what does that mean? Do it anyway. Do it out of discipline until you do feel like it. And in the process of doing it in obedience to the Lord, you will discover what I have, that when you take the step of faith to do what you know to do, your feelings all begin to change. I am buoyed up and my heart is encouraged because I got into the Word of God and all of a sudden I got lost in the truth of God's Word and I began to forget about all the issues that are going on. My friend, if I couldn't study the Bible... When there were problems in the air, you would not have any messages. Because there are always problems in the air in this place. I told people the other day, we have a school district. We have a college. We have a church. We have a radio ministry. I've never in all the time I've been here been able to look at all of those things and say, they're all going right. One of them's always going wrong. So I rejoice in what's going right. I'm over here trying to work on what's going wrong. And it's not that they're going really wrong, but they're just full of problems. And there's never a time when you don't have problems. So what I'm saying is if the only time you can ever concentrate on the things of God is when your life is trouble-free, forget it, Charlie. You ain't going to do it. You've got to learn what Paul learned. Get your books and your parchments. Get your head into the things of God. You'd be surprised what will happen when you do that. Finally, Paul needed spiritual encouragement. Remember, he got physical encouragement with the coats. He got personal encouragement with his companions. He got mental encouragement with the parchments in the books. And now notice the spiritual encouragement. What a great scripture is verses 17 and 18. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Have you noticed that in almost every message, we have ended up with one wonderful truth? See if you don't get it. Psalm 34, 7. David and the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Who's the angel of the Lord? The Lord Jesus in the Old Testament, remember? Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Joshua in chapter 1, verses 5 and 9, As I was with Moses, said God, so I will be with you. Verse 9, Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Habakkuk in chapter 3, verse 19, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet and he will make me walk on my high hills. I have been reminded as I prepared this message of the great promises of God's presence that jump across the centuries to lift my spirits. Like Isaiah 41:10, fear not for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. Yes, I will help you. I will strengthen you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 43, 2 and 3. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Psalm 27, 10. When my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? In every situation where we need courage, we need Christ. In every situation where we face trouble, 
we need the Savior. And here's the good news. In every situation that you read about in the Bible where problems present themselves, Almighty God presents himself in the midst of it. He is here for us. Matthew one twenty three says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, say it, God with us. Could I just say to you today, God is with you. He is with you in the person of Jesus Christ. God is with us. He has come down in the form of his son Jesus to be our savior. So when you hear me say on occasion that Jesus was God walking around in a body, that's exactly the truth. He is God with us. And he wants to be God in us if we will just invite him to come and live within our hearts. And when he comes to live in you, you have never seen anything like what happens when he is in you because he is not just with you. He's all over you. (laughs) And he helps you through every situation you will ever face. So I want to end up where I want to end up every sermon, and that is at the foot of the cross to remind you of this. This God who wants to be with you in your friendships and in your disappointments, he's available. He's not going to turn anyone away who will come to him and ask, would you be my savior? You say, well, pastor, I've gone to church all my life and I know Jesus is the savior. No, that's not it. It's not enough to know that he is the savior. The Bible says even the devil believes that and he trembles. Listen. You have to accept him as your savior. That's something you do at a point in time when you pray and confess your sin and invite Jesus to come and be your savior and forgive you and live within your heart. Have you done that? Has that happened in your life? Has there been a time and place that you can remember when you say, Pastor, I remember that. Don't tell me I've always been a Christian. You cannot always be a Christian. There's a moment in time when you are born into God's family. Saying that you've always been a Christian is like saying you've always been married. Now, you may feel like you've always been married, but you have not always been married. There was a time when you stood before a pastor and you said, I do, and you were married right at that moment. And there will be a time or has been a time when you stand before God and you say, I do accept you as my Savior. And then you become a Christian. And the God who is with you then becomes the God who is in you. Have you done that? Let me ask you to do that today. You know, this is such a great passage. I I love this verse that says, The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. The Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And it kind of reminded me of the baptismal testimonies we have at Shadow Mountain Church. We have an Iranian congregation, and when they're baptized, they have to speak through an interpreter. And I don't know where this came from. It must be part of their culture. When they get all done, the last thing they say is, glory to God. And everybody cheers. It's a great moment. Uh, Maybe you have seen it on on the web edition of our services. But uh, that's what Paul says here. He says, to him be glory forever and ever. He's going to keep me in the midst of this time of disappointment. We want you to be encouraged no matter what you're facing. And uh, one of the things we have done during this month to try to bring courage to your heart is to offer the book by Rob Morgan entitled The Jordan River Rules, 10 God-Given Strategies for Moving Forward. Uh, The subtitle of this book says, The Same God Who Led You Out 
will lead you on. He not only led the people of Israel out of Egypt, out of the desert, but he led them into the promised land. He wants to lead you on too, and you will find great help and encouragement when you get this book. Here's how you get your copy. Send a gift of any size to Turning Point during the remaining days of the month of February. And when you send your gift, just simply say, send me the book by Rob Morgan, or send me the Jordan River Rules, or send me the gift book for this month, and we'll do it. We have these in the warehouse. We're ready to ship them as soon as we hear from you. I promise you, when you get this little book, you might read it all in one sitting, because it's that intriguing and that motivating and that helpful. Well, I hope you have a great weekend. Uh, We're going to have a great weekend. We're going to church, and we're going to have television services all over the country and all over the world. And uh, we invite you to join us as you can. But most of all, we encourage you to go to church and be a part of a congregation that's worshiping God, be an encouragement to your pastor. We'll see you on Monday. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah serves as senior pastor. How are you being blessed by Turning Point? Write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of Robert J. Morgan's book, The Jordan River Rules, 10 God-Given Strategies for Moving Forward. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we conclude the series, Courage to Conquer, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's Word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the Word, and be in prayer. If you're ready to move towards the promises God has given you this year, then you'll love The Jordan River Rules, written by Robert Morgan. You'll learn 10 God-given strategies for moving forward, including how to encircle obstacles with biblical faith. This encouraging hardcover is yours with a gift of any amount to Turning Point this month. And when you give $70 or more, you'll also receive the Courage to Conquer set, featuring Dr. Jeremiah's teaching series, companion study guide, and bookmark. Request yours at davidjeremiah.ca. I read in the news where 19 Chinese workers died when a construction elevator fell, plunging 300 feet. That's a tragic event, of course, an example of the unpredictable events that happen daily around the world. Two similar events happened in Jesus' day. 
Pontius Pilate killed some innocent Jews in Galilee and a tower fell in Jerusalem, killing 18 people. Jesus said those individuals who died weren't worse sinners than anyone else. Instead, he said, everyone needs to repent lest they perish at the end of life. Preparing for death now is the best way to prepare for the day that our life ends. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's way to prepare on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.